Hello and welcome to the Better, Faster, and Happier podcast. I am your host, Nancy Awawan, and this is the podcast where we discuss with remarkable people across different industries about the steps they're taking towards a better, faster, and happier organizational environment. So my guests today are Dr. Anika Simmons, who's recently been promoted to a full professor, and her husband, Anwan Simmons. They are both public speakers who operate at the intersection of business and technology. I'm super excited to have them here. And yeah, thanks for coming onto the show. Me and the listeners are super excited to hear what you guys have to say on this topic. As you know, I'm sure there's a lot of opinions circulating, but let's jump straight into it. What comes to mind when I say better, faster, and happier organizations? Hi, Nancy, and we're really excited to be here with you. Nick and I um, just enjoy so much thinking about uh, better, faster, and happier. And I'll go first. I think what I would say is working in software, and I build enterprise software for a living, it's having an organization that makes better software, software that's more aligned with what the customers are looking to use, software that is free of defects, and faster is reducing the cycle time between when a feature is requested and when we get working software in the hands of the user. And then happier means that everyone, both my team who's building the software and the customers who use our software, that we're all happier, that we feel that this software in some way solves some major problem that they're trying to solve in their life. So that's my response to better, faster, happier. Anika? I don't know. When I think about better, faster, happier in a business perspective, I guess one of the things that a lot of modern employees have to be able to do is work with e uh, autonomy. And there was, I guess, a time in our history when there was a lot of control. People came to brick and mortar um, organizations to do work. And I think at this point, if the management as well as the employees can accept autonomy and give people the tools that they need to get the work done, as efficiently and, and as effectively as possible, I think that that would lead to employees that are happier and, and better as well. Great. Thanks for sharing that with me. I've got a couple of responses and kind of questions on the things that you've both said. So the first one I want to get on to is, Anika, you mentioned accepting autonomy. What does that look like? Simply because I think it's an idea a lot of organizations would like to have and would like to foster that into their culture, but accepting it is something else. So I want to get some more thoughts from your opinion about that. Yeah, I think when you when you talk about accepting autonomy, a lot of times, you know, we spend a lot of time um, interviewing people. We bring people in, we fly them in, we pay for their hotel and we, you know, they go through several rounds of of interviews and we want to get the best in the most intelligent and most engaged people. But unfortunately, when we bring them in, a lot of times then we start telling them what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And mm. then a person who's very engaged and involved, well, that is a, um, it, it could snuff out what they innately have in them. So I would say that accepting autonomy sometimes means to just let go. So in the research that I do, micromanaging that concept, it actually lowers the stress and anxiety of the person who is doing the micromanaging, but it increases mm. the stress and anxiety of the person who is experiencing the micromanaging. When I talk about allowing people and accepting autonomy, that means on both ends, I've hired you to do this job. You're capable. You have what it takes. Let me let you do it. We will have checkpoints. We will reach it, you know, connect with one another, but mm. I don't have to hover over you. And I think 
you know, there's a lot of leadership theory out there, theory X, theory Y. And we, I know we don't have time to go into all of that, but it's really a framework on how leaders and managers view their employees. And then that will determine many times whether or not they actually let the people that work for them walk in their gifts, walk in what they're capable of doing without someone hovering over them and managing every single thing that they do. Does that make sense? Completely. It really does. And something that you said that I've never heard of, but it completely makes sense, which is micromanaging, reducing anxiety and stress for the person who is basically inflicting it. Um, That's crazy if I think about it, especially when you look at people in either management positions and they are the single accountable person for something, for a project to be delivered. I can see how that goes hand in hand with feeling quite anxious Mm -hmm. and how that increases your stress. Mm -hmm. And one way of dealing with that is to make all of the unknowns known. Mm -hmm. And I could, again, I'm just, it's, it's starting to make sense in my head about why you want people to create a certain plan and why you would want to be involved in every single decision-making element of that plan, because you don't want to lose control. Yeah. So what are the things that people can do to get more comfortable with losing control and get more comfortable with taking a step back? Well, I'm also, I mean, my PhD is in organizational behavior and human resources. And I say that just to say that one of the best things you can do to not be anxious and feel like you have to control every single thing that's happening around you and underneath you or people that you know report to you is hire the best people, accept mm. that they are the best people and give people an opportunity to show you their best and not look for them to fail or to go outside of the boundaries or what have you. Basically, there's another theory. It's called the Pygmalion effect. And basically, if you believe the best in people and you believe that they're to work and get things done, most of the time, especially if you put in the due diligence to hire the best people, they're going to meet your expectations and they're going to exceed your expectations. Mm. I think I was talking to a colleague of mine the other day and we came to the conclusion that most people in leadership positions before they take on the role, they have to go through some element of soul searching. I think that's just really interesting in terms of getting comfortable with anxiety and getting comfortable with stress to a certain degree. And there's this idea that we promote people into leadership positions simply because they are the best at executing. Mm -hmm. But the dynamic of what you're doing as a leader is really different. And it's less about executing and more about enabling and amplifying the people around you. So it's really interesting how your thought process and if you choose to see the good in others, how that actually probably benefits your management style and lets you to let go and allows you to trust, I essentially think, the people that are in your team. Yeah, um, yeah so that's really interesting. I've got so a question for Anwan. Uh, you mentioned cycle time, which is really interesting from I've been dealing with this personally, which is trying to understand organizational cycle time especially because we're trying to combat working in silos. And what becomes really interesting when you connect the dots and you have a value stream, you can start to actually understand your cycle time as an organization and your lead time. So I wanted to get some thoughts from your kind of personal experience on this topic. Yeah, so cycle time, I'm very 
that's very top of mind for me when it comes to software. We do Agile Software Development, which is a framework for getting software to end users in a way that is higher quality, that's more in line with what they're asking for, that is empirical because we measure ourselves constantly. And so cycle time, of course, you know, the definition is the total time from at the beginning to the end of the process. And so Agile is set up with sprints that are in in my company, and most people do this, two weeks. And then every sprint, uh, you're getting a increment of the software. And then you want to do more and more increments to get something that you can actually ship to customers. And so we're constantly thinking, how can we get more done in each sprint in terms of like features that we're being, that we're able to develop? And then that means that we can get more value to customers. And so Cycle time is something I'm constantly being measured on as the manager of the software development team, mm-hmm. but also as someone who works very closely with the product manager, who is the voice of the customer. So we're always trying to get the most value sprint over sprint so that we can give richer value to the customer when we release the software to them. Mm. So something that's really interesting that hits kind of home with me is... When it comes to getting started with cycle time, so let's say I'm interested in measuring cycle time, what are the essential steps required to get the ball rolling with this? Yeah, I think it's really important that, and again, I'm very much in a in a, in a software framework, um, is having a very clear idea of, of when you start, right? So mm-hmm. uh, whenever we create a feature. And again, in Agile, we use a tool called Jira, or at least my, my team does. There are different tools out there. And so we can track when a feature is created. And so the, the clock starts ticking. And then we can track it from the design to the development, to the test, to the, okay, we found some bugs, let's fix the bugs, to when that feature actually is done. And so you have to have a very mm-hmm. clear sense of when for every feature in the sprint, when you started it, and when you got done. And so that cycle time tells you that, okay, we're seeing that on average, a feature takes 2.8 days to complete. And so you can track that and manage that because every feature that you're implementing, you know exactly when you started, you know exactly when it got done. And then you mm-hmm. can, and we have this big number on a whiteboard in our work area that we're constantly trying to monitor and see what's keeping our sucker time at 2.8 days? Are we communicating effectively? Do we have the correct requirements from the customer? Are we really using the best engineering practices to make sure that we're getting working software flowing through our team? So those are the essential things, having a very clear view of the stack of work that you're trying to get done, a very clear view and way to measure when you started the work and when you stopped the work, and then a way to collectively understand the average cycle time within that period. Mm, That completely makes sense. And one thing that I've personally never heard of, and again, it makes sense as I hear it, is knowing when you start from experience of working in software development is it's not always clear when something starts. And I'm really talking about the cap, the ideation phase. Most of the time, sometimes these Jira tickets land onto a team's backlog, but not everyone has the same understanding of when that ideation phase actually started. So when it comes to them picking up that piece of work to go and develop it, there's a massive gap of under of knowledge. So there's no context. And I've seen that the impact of this is the lack of understanding slowing down someone's ability to effectively deliver. 
So yeah, thank you for that. That's definitely something I'm going to kind of see what we can do where I work with the teams. Cool. So thank you so much. So let's jump on to the next question. So we would love to know about a recent success story. So to the two of you, can you describe a recent success story while you were on your mission to make a better and faster and happier organization environment? Yeah, I can give an example. And again, I work in software development. So a lot of my experience examples is from that realm. And we use Jira, which is a very fairly common tool. I believe you mentioned that you've used it before for managing our work. And, you know, we have these sprints where we're trying to get work over to the customer. And I work very heavily in what I call in the future, meaning that I'm working on the next two to three sprints while a team is working on the current sprint. And so I'm working with the customer to try to understand what their acceptance criteria are, making sure that the Jira tickets have all that information in it, making sure that any business logic is also documented. Mm -hmm. And I felt doing a good job documenting all the requirements And then I would get to my team and then there would be questions and things weren't very clear. And so I spent a lot of time having to re-explain what Mm -hmm. the requirement was and and what the requirements are. And then I began to really partner with my development lead. I'm sorry, with my design lead. And so I began to partner with my design lead, who is this brilliant uh, person who, and and I live in Houston, he lives in Chicago, and we're on video conferencing uh, software tools constantly to say, okay, let's try to get designs in place to visually show at least a high fidelity mock of what the feature is. Let's Mm -hmm. use that design to talk to the customer, to get feedback on the fields and the validations. And then let's take that to the team so that they can visually see what the ask is. And then let's drive our in Scrum, there are these ceremonies, and so we have what's called backlog refinement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I do refinement with the business and refinement with the dev team, it's very much visually driven. And by doing that, by putting the design of the application front and center, I begin to get better. I got better feedback from the customer. Mm. We were able to more in a faster way understand where we were right and where we were wrong. And then we were able to get those features built. And there was less questions about, did we build a feature that the customer was asking for? Because all along the way, I made design a first-class citizen and how we built software. Mm, yeah, that's that's really interesting. What I really like from the story you just shared is how you emphasized on using the power of visuals. I don't see that enough in refinement sessions because we end up just looking at a list of text or a spreadsheet. Um, But that's a really interesting concept in terms of using the power of visuals and letting that be the forefront of the conversation. Thank you so much. What about you, Anika? Um, Any success stories on your end? Well, I mean, yes. And, you know, and one, our lives are parallel, but um, we're working on merging them because his responses are always more technical and he is more technical. So for me, better, faster and happier for us. It's this talk that and one and I just did together in New York. And one's been doing talking at technology conferences and business conferences. And I do talks at academic conferences and nonprofits and stuff like that. And basically this year we decided for the first time to merge the two. Mm-hmm. And that 
is to make us happier because we've been married for 17 years and we were mm-hmm. doing things individually and we're working together to merge a lot of our 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 skill sets together to produce more singular products. So mm-hmm. we're working together. So it's happening, um, happening faster. And thankfully both of us see things totally different, which you can even, you can see that even in this conversation, I believe. So that allows us actually to develop synergy and to do things better. So we put a talk together that N one, I think he previously mentioned about burnout that we just gave to a really a sold out crowd in, in New York at a conference and it was really a dynamic experience to be on the stage together and to kind of bring together the differences and the uniquenesses of our experiences and who we are and produce something together. So for me, that would be my example and it definitely made me happy. Great. Um, Yeah, I'm actually really curious to find out more about this talk that you guys did. Can you share some some thoughts and comments on how that went? What was the topic focus areas and what were your takeaways from it? The talk is called Managing the Burnout Burndown. And and I found that when you can take something that the audience knows almost intuitively and Mm. tie it to what you're trying to teach them, then that's a very effective talk. And so this talk is to a technical crowd and the conference in New York City we gave it at is called the lead developer. And so we're talking with people who build software. And one tool that is used in building software is called a burndown chart, which is you have the work at the start of the sprint. As you conduct the sprint, the work goes down. And so Mm -hmm. you're putting down the work. And so I thought, why don't we use the burndown chart as a metaphor for not just burning down work, but for burning down stress, <laughs> for burning mm-hmm. down the things that have people uh, put, who that put people on the road to burn out. And so Anika and I began working together. And so really one thing I love about my wife is that she is brilliant. She obviously has a PhD, which is just one sign of how smart she is. And she has the theoretical and academic rigor that is a nice compliment to me, who is mm-hmm. more technical and more ones and zeros. And so we were able to create a talk that took the rigor and the research from the academic world that Anika comes from and combine it with the understanding of how when you're building software, there's a lot of stress involved. You have to manage technology, you have to manage people, and create a talk that I think was the best of both worlds. So some of the things that we talked about where the need to burn down barriers, the fact that we are all humans and therefore Mm -hmm. we we crave relationships and you really have to burn down the barriers within your team that keeps them apart. And so that's one takeaway, but you also have to burn down distractions. The fact that your attention is a very finite thing, but we Mm -hmm. live in a world of distraction. There's, I mean, on my computer, there's Slack, there's Twitter, there's Facebook, uh, Mm -hmm. on my phone, there's Instagram and all these things that can distract us. And so we give practical advice for burning down the things that would tend to lead people to experience stress, which is putting you on the road to burn out. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think another thing that really resonated is the fact that a lot of our talk also had to do with stress. And we live in a very um, ancient society. A lot of it does have to do with technology. It talks about how some of the social media and the fact that we're so connected and we never get an opportunity to disconnect is our phones and everything's always with us, that the anxiety and stress level in society overall, even globally, for those that are using these products has gone up. And we talked about how 
There is good type of stress. That's the you stress. So that's the stress that challenges you and challenges you and brings out the best in you and kind of pushes you. But it's that distress, that stress that weighs heavy on you and kind of pulls you down. And we want to kind of mitigate that and in that. And what happens is as, as the stress of life and work and all of it together bears down on you, then eventually you could come to a place of burnout. And that's actually a very unhealthy place to be. And we just talked previously about hiring the best people. Well, sometimes the best people are the most engaged people, and those people can be the most susceptible to burnout, which for some people is quite counterintuitive. Mm. I definitely think there's something to be said about being able to visualize the road to burn down or burning out, I mean. And that becomes really powerful. There's this thing in in Kaizen around continuous improvement that if you visualize something, it becomes much easier to troubleshoot it. Because I'm assuming that if you can see it's going into red, and this is me solutionizing right now, but if it was going into red or into danger zone and you can visually see that, your response time becomes much quicker, much faster. But yeah, thank you too for sharing those uh, two stories. I'm really excited to actually see more of your talks in the future. Let's jump on to the next question, which is with success comes failure and struggles, as we all know. So something that we would like to know is what is it that you're currently struggling with when it comes to making things either better, faster, or happier? I mean, I, I think for us, um, again, and one and I have been married 17 years. We have three very involved children and one has a tech career. I have an academic career. So the things that we try to do to make our lives happier is to simplify. Um, mm. This life can get very, very complicated. So we definitely try to focus in. We want to make sure that what our values are, what are what the things that are important to us. We want to make sure that we funnel most of our energies and most of our just concentration and focus on those things and try to remove the things that take up time but aren't really producing the things that we say that we really believe in and that we have convictions about. So that's that's one thing that we struggle with because it's very easy to get pulled in, in, in different directions. And one thing that, that and one recently talked about is exercising our power of no. Uh, we want to participate with people and, and walk in our talents and gifts, but you just can't do everything. And so it's making sure that we stay focused on those values and those principles and the things that are most important to us. Mm. Absolutely. And and we're talking with you, Nancy, because we didn't say no to you because we really want <laughs> to speak with you. <laughs> but but yes, I think it's exactly right. We, you know, marriage is 17 years, so managing our relationship, three kids who are one teenager, two preteens, all the complications of their schedules, all the complications of our careers, there's just a lot to manage. We really need to, as my wife said, understand what are our values? What are the things that we really care about? And let's align our actions and our activities with those values. And so when, once you have your values clear, once you know the things that really tie to your purpose and why you're on the planet, it becomes mm. a lot easier to say no, because this is not aligned with my purpose. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. It becomes a lot easier to say, this really is aligned with things that I think are essential to my life. That's where I'm going to spend my time. Mm. I'm actually thinking how this can be applied to a team. I've worked with teams in the past who have struggled to say no, but if you were to coach this team around understanding what their purpose is collectively and what their values are collectively, 
you give them context to say no, because it just, if things come their way that don't align to their purpose and their values, then they've got a remit to essentially say no without coming across like they're trying to be difficult. Yeah. So again, with the answers you've given, I've personally taken a lot of learnings from that. Something that I'm personally also trying to would like to hear, because I think we're all dealing with this, which is improvements. What is one area you would really like to improve? One area that I would like to improve on, and this is really tied again to the work that I do with my team, is helping to understand the fact that they're all different. And and I want to improve in my ability to, to flex me that as a engineering manager, I work with a team of, of nine people. So we're a standard scrum team. And some people are introverts, some people are extroverts, some people like being praised in public, some people really don't like the spotlight. And one thing I've done to get better is understanding those differences and just understanding mm-hmm. that people are different and my and improving my ability to detect the individual differences on my team. So I've made progress just with recognizing that. But then being a better manager, but also a better, in many ways, protector, because I, a large part of my role is protecting the team from, as you said, the distractions and mm-hmm. the temptations that just exist in every company. And and that that's what I'm working on. And I I'm able to flex to understand how to engage with an introvert, how to engage with the extrovert, how mm. to engage with people who have different personality types. But uh, that's something that I'm working on personally right now. Yeah. And I, and I would say for me, you know, as we pursue the things that are important to us and we stay focused on that and as we exercise the power of no, one thing that I'm dealing with or I'm learning and developing is that you cannot please everyone. So you mm-hmm. will always have some critics. You you will, You will always have people out there that think that what you did was not good enough. So we just saw in the news that a gentleman went to a commencement and decided to pay off the student debt of everyone from the Morehouse College graduating class, I believe. Mm-hmm. And immediately someone said, well, wait a minute, Oprah's spoken there before. Why didn't she pay off their debt? And you know, she does so many great things, but because she didn't do something that a person or a group of people thought that perhaps she should, she's receiving criticism this morning. I was reading that before our conversation. So no matter what you do, there will always be critics and that's okay. If you know that you're doing the things that, that you are called to do, you're staying in your lane, then it's okay. It's okay. You can mm-hmm. never please everyone. And again, that's that reduction of stress and burnout because one of the sources for burnout for a lot of people is other people. <laughs> and mm. a, a manager or employees or whomever that just drain you. And if you just stay focused on what you're called to do, I think that's one of the biggest antidotes to managing that. Mm. I'm going to ask a practical question in a sense, because I really love what you're saying with the staying focus. What are the practical things someone can do to stay focused so that they don't get distracted? by the expectations of others. You know what? One of the main things you can do is you can wake up in the morning. And I mean, we all have our technology. You can review the things that you want to have completed by the end of the day and know why those things that you're working on are important to you so that you can be saying, okay, these are the things that I'm doing and this is why. Everything you do, 
should be able to be linked back to a value or principle that's important to you. And Mm -hmm. I think that can help you stay focused. But of course, that would mean that you've actually written down and codified the things that are important to you. And I think a lot of us are so busy, we never take the time to do something like that. But Mm -hmm. I actually believe that that is something that is an anxiety reducer. And it can help you focus by knowing your values and principles, have them written written down, look at your weekly, your daily, your monthly schedule. It's something, everything that I'm doing, pretty much we do have to eat, live, go to the grocery store and stuff like that. Link that to your principles and your values. And I think that will help you remain focused and not get distracted on things that take a lot of emotional labor, but with no positive outcomes. Mm. That completely makes sense. I can actually see Anwan and uh, you, Anika, I can see the both of you setting up a sort of scrum for life, <laughs> scrum for life agency where people come and basically learn how to apply scrum in their personal life. Because a lot of the things you're talking about, they're almost like common practices when it comes to how we plan our software development cycle. And one, as you clearly have kind of shared with us this far around, you have your planning. This is where you basically commit to a set of things that are valuable to you and that you want to get done. And yeah, so maybe even having a retrospective every two weeks with yourself just to see how things are going. Yeah. So that, uh, hey, let me know when that starts because I would love to sign up for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So absolutely. So we're coming to an end. And again, I would like every listener to walk away with some nugget of wisdom regarding tools or books that they can go ahead and purchase and bring into their life. And my question is, what are the things that, or what are the books you're reading at the moment or tools that you are absolutely loving when it comes to either becoming faster, better, or happier? Yes. I would say two books that currently that I've read and that I'm reading. Grits by Angela Duckworth is a great book because she really goes into the theory of what makes people exceptional. And most Mm -hmm. people think, well, if you're born rich or if you're born just naturally athletic or if you have all these attributes, and she really distilled it down to, it's really grit, it's resilience, it's having the ability to over a long period of time endure hardship in order to get to a goal. So I think grit is a, a great book and I've taken away so many things from that, the other book is called Deep Work, and that's a book that really informed what I was talking about earlier about attention and the fact that our attention span is so limited. And we think that, well, I have time to scroll through Facebook and post things to Instagram and like on Twitter. and But actually, when you do all, all those things, you think you're being interactive. You think that you're engaging in community, but you're really not because, and the author of Deep Work, um, Kyle, I think it's Kyle Newport, has done a follow-up book about the fact that when you're on Facebook and you're liking the part of your brain that kind of gets that dopamine rush from those you know liking and people liking your stuff is totally separate from the part of your brain that actually feels like you're with someone. And mm-hmm. you actually have to go out and be almost in the same physical space with people to really feel that you're connecting with them. So people are all day long on Facebook sitting in a room by themselves, but they wonder why they feel so lonely. And that's mm-hmm. because we really need physicality. We really need to be with someone 
look at them in their eye, talking with them and engaging on one-on-one. And so many people are not doing that. And so deep work and the whole, really the whole theory that Cal brings to this space is, is, is just really, really powerful. Right. And I, for me, I've read a lot of books recently. I guess one of the main ones that there are two, one of them is Becoming by Michelle Obama. I actually just finished reading it and I enjoyed it so much that when the book ended, I actually felt sad. Oh. And it was because really she just talked about a lot of what we've been talking about this morning. I mean, she's so busy and she had so much going on. She had such an ambitious husband. They saw life, saw life completely different. And she was just here, there, everywhere. And she said, you know what? I've got to take care of me before I can take care of anyone else. And so she implemented a a structure kind of like what we talked about, you know, working out in the morning to manage her stress. And these things seem so small, but if you want to do your best, if you want to um, be happier, like we're talking about and Mm. do things better, she focused on being strong and, and having a dinner time. Her husband came home late often and she said, no, dinner Dinner is at seven and we're not going to stay up and become tired and irritable waiting where this is when we eat. And when you can come home, you know, on time and be here, what have you, then we would love to see you and participate with you. But we can't keep always adjusting in a way that is unhealthy for us or for the kids. And so just her thinking and the way she talked through that really helped me. And another book that I read a while ago and that I still refer to, it's called Nine Things You Simply Must Do by Dr. Henry Cloud. And one of the things about that book that was really powerful because one of the things he says to do is to play the movie. And when I was becoming a professor and I used to be an IT consultant. So anyone and I do have that in common. I was an IT consultant for about eight years. Whatever decisions you make, you have to play the movie. So if I leave consulting, what will that look like in 20 years? If Mm. I choose this area of academic research, what will that look like in 20, 30 years? If I continue down an individual road and I don't merge the business component of who I am with my husband, what will that look like in 20, 30 years? Because we're all getting older. So one of the principles, again, that he talks about, it's called playing the movie. And that's been a, a very, very positive resource and way of thinking for me as a young adult, even to now where I I am now in my life. Wow. You both have left me speechless and that doesn't happen often. These books, as we speak, I'm actually on Amazon and I'm definitely going to add them to my shopping cart and I will purchase them. On that positive note, I want to thank the two of you so much for spending your morning with us and giving us just nuggets of wisdom as you were sharing your stories as a response to the questions I asked. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you a lot. Thank you. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. So as usual, this is not goodbye to our listeners. We will be back with another episode, but you know what to do for those who aren't new Make sure you subscribe um, if you haven't done so already. We're both on Spotify, iTunes, Podcaster, and make sure you switch on that notification bell. For anyone who's joined and it's their first time, make sure you check our previous past episodes. They're all awesome with this because we do take our time to look out for speakers and guests to come onto the show. And we really hope you appreciate it. And we hope that you learn as we learn from them as well. Thank you very much and see you around. 